0: A while back, I heard about a couple, an elderly couple that were swinging on the front porch of their uh, in their in their swing, one of those swings, back and forth on the front porch. They had just celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary, and the elderly husband, feeling romantic and feeling his heart pitter patter for his elderly wife, uh, tried. To show his love. And he said to her. Oh dear. Our love is tried and true. She was hard of hearing. She said. What? What did you say? He said. Oh dear. Our love is tried and true. She shouted one more time. Honey. What did you say? He said. Shouting back to her. Our love is tried and true. She said, fine, I'm sick of you too. (laughs) When we come to this particular section of Scripture, the Apostle Paul wants to make it plain. He does not want to miscommunicate whatsoever his intentions. And he reminds us, that God is the one that has called him, that God is the one that called him as an apostle, and that he has been given a special message. He has been given a special message. Did you know that next to Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul has made a greater impact on the world than perhaps any other person? He wrote most of the New Testament. He established the first Christian churches In the Roman Empire, he was a great man of God and he had wonderful spiritual insight and he impacted lives for Jesus Christ. Did you know that the first 17 verses of the book of Romans is really an autobiography? The Apostle Paul is speaking about himself. He speaks in the first person. He shares his heart. He shares his intention. And you might want to say this morning that this particular section is really about the Apostle Paul, the man his message, and his ministry, and his motivation. I've chosen today's title, The Gospel According to Apostle Paul. He did write this particular gospel. God inspired him to write it, and this is it. I want you to know this verse 1. Look at it with me. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, and set apart, set apart, for the gospel of God. The word gospel is used four times in these first 17 verses. Four times. And if you translate the word gospel, it means good news. And it's not necessarily a religious term. It could be associated with any good news. For example, you could say, here is the gospel. I had a baby boy last night. Here's a gospel. I graduated from high school or college. Here is the gospel. Here's the good news. I got married to my sweetheart. It's associated with good news. Did you know that um, in the New Testament times, letters were fairly expensive. Uh, a paper was expensive. Most of the paper written in New Testament times was on papyrus. And sometimes they even wrote on animal skins called vellum, And that meant that the average letter in the Roman Empire usually was very, very short when you wanted to correspond with someone. In fact, the average length of the average letter during that time was about 150 words. Cicero wrote a letter that was actually a treatise, and it had 4,500 words in it. Everybody thought it was enormous. Paul, when he writes to the Roman church, this letter to them has 7,100 words. He has a lot to say. And we want to look this morning, in this particular section, at what he has to say. Somebody has said, every great revival in history that has ever started can somehow be related to the book of Romans. One more time. Paul, look that with me. A servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle, and set apart for the gospel of God. In this particular verse, he says three things about himself. Did you notice that? First of all, he says he's a servant. He says, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. The apostle Paul truly was a servant of sin and legalism. He was a servant of sin and legalism. This is what he tells people and individuals. But now he says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ because Christ transformed his life. The second thing I want you to notice is he says, I'm, a, I'm called to be an apostle. Did you know that when you become part of God's army, it is not a volunteer. You don't come as a volunteer. The Apostle Paul, we know, was one of those particular individuals. He resisted the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that the Apostle Paul was a persecutor of the church. We know that he hated Christians. We know that he was there holding the coats, holding the garments of those individuals that stoned the first Christians. He was there when when Stephen was stoned. He hated Christian individuals. He resisted the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would do anything but to become a Christian person. He was a Pharisee, and the Pharisees were dead set against Christ and the Christian message by and large. And in his legalistic zeal, he persecuted the church. And yet the Bible indicates that Christ got a hold of him convicted him, convinced him, and yes, he had a part to play. He could have said yes, and he could have said no, but he said yes. And the moment that Christ, that moment, Christ entered his life, and the Bible says he was transformed, and he became a servant of Christ, a servant from sin and legalism and pharisaicalism to a servant of Jesus Christ. And he was called as an apostle. An apostle, someone that preached the gospel of Christ, somebody that helped establish churches throughout the Roman Empire. Now, at my house this past summer, we had some neighborhood kids that began to, well, what's the old term? They began to play doorbell ditch. Have you ever had that done to your house? How many of you did that when you were kids? Come on now. How many of you knocked on doors or rang the doorbell, and then when the peop- before the people came to the door, you ran away? <laughs> Man, I had a lot of fun doing that as a kid. We used to do that all the time. I'm not encouraging you to do it. Don't do it now. But we had a lot of fun doing that. And so we had these kids that came around, and they were knocking on the door, and they were ringing the doorbell, and then they would run away, and you could hear them giggling right around the tree. I got so mad at those, ki- those kids. They kept doing that time after time. I finally go, don't do it again. I know who you are. <laughs> they were knocking on the door. And they were ringing our doorbell. You know what the Scripture says? The Scripture says truly in the book of Revelations that Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is knocking on the door of individuals and the people that open the door of their hearts, they will receive Christ. Paul was called to be a servant of Jesus Christ, and he was called to be an apostle. God had a specific calling on his life, and he knocked on that door, and the apostle Paul opened it up. And the third thing I want you to notice is, he says, I was set apart. Look at it with me. He says, I was set apart, verse 1, for the gospel of God. Now, that word set apart is the Greek word from which we get our word horizon. Stay with me. Where we get our word horizon, it literally means streamlined, purposely narrowed down. What happens when the sun goes down? The sun begins to narrow. It goes wide. That horizon is seen right there. And Paul is saying, I was set apart for the gospel. I was called to be a gospel specialist. I was called to preach this one message. And he was. That was his specialty. The life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How many of you remember about four or five years ago, the Billy Graham Museum and Library was dedicated? Do you remember that? It was on CNN, and it was on a number of different news programs. And at the Billy Graham Museum, Dedication, and Library, three former presidents of the United States was there. Can you believe that? Three former presidents. That's how well Billy Graham is respected. The mayor of Charlottesville was there, and the governor of North Carolina, they were all there. And they all spoke. And Billy Graham was the last one that got up. And in a very, very frail voice, he said, I want you to know that this museum and this library is dedicated dedicated to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If anybody off the street comes in here, they will get the gospel message. Billy Graham and the Apostle Paul had the same message, the life of and the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is his message. This is the gospel message. I want you to notice specifically about his message. Look at it in in verses 2 and 3. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. And through, verse 4, and through the spirit of holiness, was appointed to the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul's message is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in a a true sense, this gospel message that he proclaimed, as I said earlier, was good news. The first thing I want you to notice here is that he says he says this. He says it is promised in the Bible. Did you notice verse 2? Look at it with me. The gospel was promised beforehand through the prophets in Holy Scripture. He's talking about the Old Testament. This is what we read in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 2. The author there says, "God in times past spoke to us by his prophets" Many different ways, but now he's spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Do you remember the particular time, shortly after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in the Gospel of Luke, we read that Jesus made an appearance to two men. They did not recognize him. Those two men, the Bible says, were downcast. They were discouraged. They were depressed. They basically said to Jesus, in my paraphrase, You don't know what's been going on. You don't know what's been happening. But this person called Jesus Christ, we thought he was the Messiah. We thought that he was going to bring in and usher in the kingdom of God. But now he is dead. And Jesus then revealed himself to those men. And he began to share with them everything from the Old Testament all the way through about the Messiah and the Messianic promises. This message has been around for hundreds and thousands of years. It was revealed and you might want to say preached. Even by Adam and Eve. And by Abraham. And by Joseph. And by Moses. And by David. And by the prophets. All the way down through church history in the Old Testament. It was signs and symbols and it began kind of like you couldn't see very well and then it got more and more clear toward the time of the Messiah arriving and coming on the scene. Now the second thing I want you to notice about the gospel here, look at verse 3. Regarding his son, who as to human nature was a descendant of David. The second thing about the gospel is that it revolves around a person. Well of course we're talking about the person of Jesus Christ. If you studied Buddha and you were to remove Buddha away from Buddhism, you still would have a philosophy. If you were to remove Muhammad out of the Islam faith, you still would have a bunch of rules and regulations and things to observe. But if you take Christ out of Christianity, you don't have anything You have nothing because the gospel of the Christianity, the gospel of the Christian faith is built around the person of Jesus Christ. It is centered on God's son. Now, what does the apostle say about Jesus Christ? He says two things about him in this particular section of scripture. First of all, he says that he was 100% human. He was a real person. He was born just like you're born, just like I born. He 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 had to be fed by his mother. He had to have his diapers changed. He was 100 percent human, 100 percent human. At the same time, he was 100 percent God. God wrapped in the flesh. It wasn't a little bit human, a little bit God. It was 100 percent human, and he was 100 percent and 100 percent God. Now, why is this important? This is why it's important. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 indicates, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. For we have one who has been tempted, context, uh, tried in every way, just as we are, but he was without sin. 100% human. Garden of Gethsemane. Struggling. Lord, let this cup pass from me. Going through pain, sweating literally, the Bible says, drops of blood. Let this cup pass from me. In his earthly ministry, his friend Lazarus died. Jesus wept. Why is it so important to understand that Jesus faced trials and temptations and and that He faced all of these difficulties in His earthly ministry so that we could relate to Him, so that He could relate to us. When we go through the hard times, when we go through the trials, when we go through the difficulties, when we go through the losses, when we go through the pains of life, the Lord is right there, right beside us, experiencing and walking through all of these things that we go through in our lives. He is not absent. He is not distant. He doesn't care. I mean, He... he, he, He uh, There's none of this, he doesn't care. He walks beside us. If he were not human, then uh, if he was 100% human, then he could not relate to us. But because he was, he could relate to us. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 15.4. And if Jesus Christ had not raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. He was also 100% God, and he proved it by resurrecting from the dead. Now, I want you to notice what he also says in verse 4. He was Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the name the Apostle Paul says. Notice, did you see that? He was Jesus Christ, our Lord. Did you know that Jesus was his personal name? it translated it means joshua the one who saves jehovah is salvation another uh, interpretation christ is his official name it's a greek word for messiah it means anointed lord is his title and that's who he is he's our lord he's our savior so what do we say about the gospel it's promise in the scripture it's centered on the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was 100% God, 100% man. And the third thing we see about this gospel in verse 5, notice, look at verse 5, through him and for his namesake, we receive grace. If you don't get anything else, get this this morning. The Apostle Paul a legalistic zealot. Again, he called himself a Pharisee A Pharisee. He had a goal to become part of the Sanhedrin, the highest ruling body in Israel. He was on his way. Everyone knew who Saul was before he became Paul. He would hound those Christian people, as I said earlier. He would go to no length. He would do everything he could. And he obeyed to the nth degree of all of the rules and all of the regulations of the Pharisees. They were the top 1% of 1% of their culture and world. They were the intellectual elites. They were the legal eagles. And the Pharisees had rules for anything and everything. And the Apostle Paul followed every single one of those rules. But when he came to faith in Jesus Christ, he discovered that all of his works... All the things that he did, the jump rope types of things that people do, the beating themselves that people do, the bloody knees that Martin Luther, the great reformer, tried to do to perform. All of these things, all the performance-oriented things went out the door because his righteousness, he understood, was as filthy rags before a holy and righteous God. And he recognized that it's all of grace. Grace. You can't earn it. You can't jump through enough hoops for it. You can't do anything to earn this grace. It's, It's all of God's grace. Somebody has given the acronym for grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Truly, a remarkable, overwhelming, the gospel of grace God doesn't give us what we deserve, but what we need. So this gospel is a gospel of good news. It's good news throughout the Bible. It's good news about Jesus Christ. And it's good news of grace. I remember, just like you, when your children were born. Remember that? Remember those times? If you have one child, two two children. All those times. It's vividly sketched in my mind because it was such a moment of joy. That little bundle, that red thing that just came out looked like a wrinkled whatever, it came out and there it was. And they cleaned it up a little bit and you held that baby for the very first time and there was nothing like that experience in the whole world. Am I not right? Nothing like it. And I'll never forget as you... As a young parent, you've experienced this too. If you have children, they wrap that baby up tightly. That's what you're supposed to do. Just snug really tight. You brought them home. And that night, to give my wife a little bit of relief, I sat in the rocking chair, and I put our newborn baby right here on my chest, and I did not want to move for fear that I would disturb my baby, our baby. You can't help but to have that natural love for your children. But I'm going to tell you, this is what the Bible says. Truly, it says that God's love is far greater, far deeper, far wider than human love. And we know what the Bible says. This love reached out to us. It was love that came to us when we were yet sinners. He gave His Son, Christ Jesus, for all, for everyone who would believe. And I want you to notice it's a gospel for the whole world. It's a gospel for the whole world. Look at verses 5 and 6 with me. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. And you... Also, among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Did you see that there? To call all the Gentiles. Now, this is remarkable because in the Jewish mind, there were two groups of people. You were either in the ins or you were the outs. If you were a Jewish person, you were on the ins. If you were a Gentile person, everybody else, you were out. You were out. And that's the way they looked at the world. And the Bible says this gospel was not only preached and not only for the Jewish people, but it was for the Gentiles, meaning the gospel is for the whole world, for everybody, from all of those ethnic groups down in South America, for all of those ethnic and different groups of people that are in Africa, for all of those people that are in Asia, for all of those individuals that are in Europe, for the whole World, Aren't you thankful that the gospel message is for everybody? God does not exclude anybody. It's for you. It's for me. It's for my next-door neighbor. It's for the people down the street. It's for the people that I work with. It's for those people I go to school with. It's those people that I go to the gym with. It's those people I shop at Chester's with. It's for everybody. And this is a wonderful, wonderful thing to be reminded of. It's a global gospel. Now, let's just quickly review here. Paul's a man. He's a servant. He's called and he's set apart to preach the gospel. What's the gospel? It's the gospel that's been in the Bible for hundreds and thousands of years. The gospel about a man. Jesus Christ, 100% God, 100% man. uh, The gospel about God's grace. That we don't earn it, we don't deserve it. And it's for, again, the whole world. I want you to notice Paul's ministry. In the next few verses, verse 7 and following, we see the Apostle Paul's relationship to Romans. The Bible says that not one word in Scripture is by accident, that it's all profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Look at verse 7 with me. To all who are in Rome, who are loved by God, and called to be. Saints, grace and peace to you from God and from the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. The very first thing Paul says, one of the very first things, he says, You're a saint. You're a saint. Are you are you are you joking me? I'm a saint? Yes, you're a saint. When you're a Christian person, you know, that, that word always has bothered me because, I, you know, I don't have perfect performance. I don't always do the things that I know that I should do. I don't always refrain from the things I know that should That word bothers me. I'm a saint. And yet that's what Paul says you are when you receive Christ. You're a saint in God's eyes because of Christ and what he's done for you. You're a saint. Remember Louis Armstrong he's played what? When the saints go marching in and you've gone marching in. You're a saint when you give yourself to Jesus Christ. The second thing I want you to notice about verse 7 here is that he also says, Grace and peace to you from our God uh, and from the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And grace and peace were the words he always used in all of his letters. Grace and peace. Grace. The, the Gentile people would understand that. And peace. Hebrew word, shalom, the, the, the uh, Hebrew people would understand grace and peace to you. When Paul says grace and peace, he's kind of taking the best of both worlds to say, hello, everybody. And I want you to look at verse 8. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Can I just say this? You want to influence people for God, then compliment people. Build them up, encourage them. Be an encourager. Paul was always doing this. The cup is not half empty. The cup is half full. There's plenty of critics in this world. It doesn't take anything to criticize. But Paul was a master at affirmation. He knew that the way you build people, build people up is not by putting them down. You build people up by lifting them up with a word of encouragement, by a word of gratitude. i got to tell you about the sweetest lady I, I ever met. Her name was Dolores. In one particular pastor, we had this lady. She was late. Kathy can tell you she was the sweetest lady. And unfortunately, she was married to the honoriest and meanest man. Go figure. Her husband had been a World War II POW, and he was very bitter. And every time I went into their home to visit them, he would, I kid you not, he would start looking at his watch, and he would notice the time. After 15 minutes, if I had stayed longer than 15 minutes, he would look at me and he say, Pastor, it's time to go. Have you ever met a person like that? And yet, when it came to his wife, he was putty in her hands. Go figure. He loved his wife. She was the sweetest lady. Got a phone call from Dolores' daughter. Pastor Ron, Dolores is in the hospital. I went to visit her, walked in, talked to her. She was such an encouragement. Here she is sick, really sick. She was patting me on the back with her verbal words, caressing me with her verbal words, encouraging me the whole time. Finally, after a few minutes, She said, Pastor Ron, it's terminal. I said, what? She goes, yeah, the doctor just told me that I've got two to three weeks to live. I started crying. I did. She said, oh, Pastor, come over here. She was comforting me. She said, I'm ready to go. I've lived a good life. And God has blessed me. What an encouragement. She wasn't putting on. She wasn't, you know, uh, putting up airs uh, or putting her best face forward. She genuinely meant the things that she said. Here Paul says, Grace and peace to you. I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you. What an encouragement. Notice the reputation of this church also. He says, Because your faith has been reported all over the world, the Christians in Rome were famous all over the world. Why? Because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They were famous. He says, Everywhere I go, people say, The Roman church is known for their faith. And think about it. They were the Las Vegas, so to speak, of the Mediterranean area. They had Nero, who did awful, terrible things to Christians. All of these things and yet they overwhelmingly were reaching people for Christ. The catacombs were filled, these darkened areas, with Christian people They were coming to know Christ. The praetorium guard was affected. All of these leaders of the Roman Empire were affected because of the Christian. They were known the world over because of their faith. What do you think a church I'll be famous for Some churches are famous because they have a wonderful music program. Other churches are famous because they have a well-known pastor, pulpitier or preacher. Other churches are well-known because of their architecture. I think that a church should be known for their faith. Incredible faith. Paul says, I thank God for you because of your faith. Why did this church in Rome have such a good, great reputation? Look at verse 9 with me. Why did they have such a great reputation? God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of the Son, is my witness. How I constantly remember you. Notice verse 10. In my prayers at all times, do you think our church would be a better place if the Apostle Paul lived today and he prayed for our church? You bet. You bet. One of the reasons I think they were so strong is that Paul, this man of God, continually prayed for that particular church. He says, I pray for you every single day. Paul says, you have a world-famous reputation. You're known for, for your faith every single day. I want to close right there. I've got another major point and, uh, Don can show it up here if you want to fill it in. Um, but I'm, I'm out of time. I was talking with a preacher this last week and I said, you know, I remember one of my, uh, professors said in homiletics, he said, when you drill that wa- uh, drill that well and you hit water, stop preaching. And I'm done and I'm finished. With, uh, with something that happened to me this last week. I was uh, I was at Jesse Lewis's house Tuesday night. My wife and I in, in the fresh hours were there as well and those of you who have ever had a dinner at Jesse's house you know you're in for a treat she had a nice dinner for us and she had a very very rich dessert. It was a rich dessert. I almost got intoxicated by just smelling it. <laughs> it's how rich it was. <clears throat> after dinner and after dessert and after small talk, guess what we did? You, you know what we did, right? We watched that movie, filmed here in John Day. I've never seen it before. How many of you have ever seen that movie, Napoleon and Samantha? How many of you have seen that movie? Okay, most of you have. So you know what I'm going to be talking about when I talk about that particular movie. There was this movie, Walt Disney movie, that was filmed in John Day a number of years ago, for those of you who don't know, I think in 1970, 1971. And it was fun to watch these particular scenes because there was Jesse's house, and there was an inside, and then there was a particular scene where it showed one of the characters that died buried up on top of the hill. And you could just look out her back door and you could see up on to, up to top of the hill. And then I also saw, I uh, recognized the house, remember the house next to the Lutheran church over here. Well, that's in that movie as well. And then Greg Armstrong told me this last week, even his horse is, was in the movie. And so you see all these flashes, you see all of these scenes about uh, John Day and all, Grant County and all over the place. And, uh, and it wasn't it fun to see that motorcycle scene. They started over here, and they ended up over here, and they went up Dixie and all over the place. It was exciting to see that. Jody Foster and Michael Douglas, they look a little bit different today, don't they, Uh, than back in 1971. In fact, we were all a little bit different back in 1971. Remember? We were a little bit different. And uh, candy prices have gone up. I mean, you could get a lot of candy for a few pennies. That one little boy in the movie, Napoleon, he got a handful of black, who likes black licorice? I don't like, oh man, we're going to have to take you guys in for something else. I like red licorice. If you, you can have your black stuff, but that's okay. Anyway, you could get a lot of uh, licorice for a few pennies. And, uh, and the thought occurred to me. Even though hairstyles change, even though car styles change, motorcycle styles change, even though we've entered into this uh, technological world, the message, the simple message of a Walt Disney movie came through. It still resonates all these years later. Good does triumph over evil good does triumph over evil and the best way to live life is selflessly thinking of others you know what the Bible says honor one another pray for one another Build one another up. Paul is trying to do this with this church that is a long ways away that he's never visited before. He does it through letter writing. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?